0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus. We're going to begin by reading a verse. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing what? Bringing salvation to whom? All men. That's what it says. As I was speaking with some last night, um, the idea was brought up that perhaps someone is thinking that I'm preaching universalism. Do you know what universalism is? No. <laughs> That's when everyone is saved. Now it's true, we've just read that the grace of God brings salvation to all men. Does that mean that all men will be saved? Why? No. No. Because there are some people who don't know what to do with the gift that God has brought to to them. There are some people who don't want the gift. I was just thinking, you know, I've been trying for the last hour to think of an illustration and I'm not so sure I found one. But if someone ever thought to buy me the gift of a million dollar house, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Because I wouldn't know how to pay the taxes to begin with, I wouldn't be able to. And I wouldn't have the money to keep it up, and so it would be a gift that would be wasted on me because I could not meet the responsibilities that go with it. Now, that's not exactly uh, an illustration that fits the situation. Because if God brings us the gift, then He has all the wherewithal with the gift to help us with it. But I think there are some people who don't know what to do with the gift. They don't know what to do with it. They don't understand. They don't see. Yesterday I tried to emphasize that we cannot find assurance in our own good works. And the reason for that, of course, is as we read in Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our good works are what filthy rags well if you're going to look to filthy rags and hope to find assurance there you're going to be terribly disappointed because there's no assurance found in filthy rags there's nothing we can do whereby we can find assurance nothing 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 our assurance is based on what jesus christ has done our assurance is is based on what on the birth of Jesus Christ you know that when Jesus was born he was called in the Bible that holy thing and that precluded that there was divinity in him but do you know that Jesus set his divinity aside and he took on our humanity through his mother Mary and with humanity he managed to live the perfect life from the day he was born till the day he died. He never sinned, though he was tempted in every respect like as we are. And then he came to the end of his life and he died our atoning death and resurrected, went to heaven, presented to his father from, in the one hand his, his perfect life, in the other hand an atoning death for all of humanity. He paid for the sins of the whole world. Did he do that? Yes, He did. And that's where we find assurance because He has given us the gift. The gift is given. But we understand that a gift that is given does not have to be received. It can be refused. It can be rejected. It can be ignored. And mostly among Christians, it can be neglected. And so don't think you can find your way to heaven if you do not appreciate the gift that God has blood-bought at the cross of Calvary. We're not preaching universalism. We're preaching the gospel. That's what it is and nothing more. Uh, Let me read it to you from Faith and Works, page 18. I'm going to read just a little more than I usually would, but I think you'll catch it. This is Faith and Works, page 18, page 19 also. The danger has been presented to me, again and again, of entertaining as a people false ideas of justification by faith. Now, you wouldn't, think, you, you wouldn't think that as a Seventh-day Adventist church and as people within the Seventh-day Adventist church that we could even begin to entertain false ideas of righteousness by faith or justification by faith. But friends, we don't all agree <laughs> on what justification by faith is. And so somebody's got to be wrong. You can't have two people who are wrong or who are at least disagreed and both be right. They can both be wrong, but they can't both be right. And so Ellen White warns us that there is a possibility. Now, friends, actually, the gospel is very, very simple. But what's amazing is that the devil has managed to bring in theories and ideas and to block our minds and to have us, because of sin, because of sin in our own individual lives, he is able to blind our eyes, to blind our hearts, to understand the true gospel. Ah, quit sinning why don't you <laughs> no it's true it's true the grace of God is available for that we can and I think we ought to be serious about it because when we're not serious about it and I'm trying to bring to my mind you know I'm talking here without my notes I'm trying to bring to my mind the book education page 28 says that sin is talking about one sin sin is so powerful It says there that it not only separates us from God, but it destroys within us the desire and capacity to know Him. How would you like to have your capacity to know God destroyed? Sin does that. And if there's anyone here who entertains sin or cherishes sin in his or her life, your capacity to know, and this is life eternal, is to know. Don't have your capacity destroyed. How would you like to have your desires destroyed? I mean, your desires for salvation destroyed. That's the unpardonable sin, by the way. Yeah, and sin can do that. And so, of course, let me just throw at you another Spirit of Prophecy quotation. Third Selected Messages, 202, paragraph 2, says, Our sanctification is God's object in all His dealings with us. So it doesn't matter what God has done when God went to the cross what was it for our sanctification to bring us back to restore us back to the image in which we were created that's his object in all his dealings with us And so when Jesus went to the grave it was for our sanctification when Jesus rose from the grave it was for our sanctification and all of his all of uh, all of the providences that he works out in your life what's it all for it's all for the purpose of restoring you back to the image of Jesus Christ That's God's purpose now if that quotation doesn't balance our minds I don't know of another quotation that will better do it we need to understand but I say all of that because I want to say this we will never get to the place where we want to put sin aside we will never get to the place where we want to repent if we do not recognize the goodness of God and so this is what we're trying to say this evening and last evening and the evening before when you see that God has gone to the cross and he's paid the full penalty for all of our sins and that he prefers to all the whole human race a total salvation package Then you can see how good God is, and it's the goodness of God that would lead us. We come to the place where we do not want to hurt Him anymore. I'm going to continue reading. This is still from Faith and Works. The point that has been urged upon my mind for years is the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's justification. I have wondered that this matter was not made the subject of discourses in our churches throughout the land, when the matter has been kept so constantly urged upon me, and I have made it the subject of nearly every discourse and talk that I have given to the people. So she thought this was probably the most important subject that could be broached with the people. goes on to say, There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone. Through faith only in Jesus Christ alone. No other salvation has been... How does it say? I think I've got it right here. Other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's where our assurance lies. And Jesus has done it all to bring salvation to the human race. And you may find assurance there. You will never find assurance in your behavior. And we've seen that by the quotation that we read the other day because we are such a corrupt channel even a true believer and his praises and his penitent confessions and his worship of God even going coming from a true believer ascends to God but because it goes through a corrupt channel it is so defiled that it can be of no value with God unless it is cleansed by the blood of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and so our assurance is in what Jesus has done. Let this, and I'm reading again, let the subject be made distinct and plain that it is not possible to affect anything in our standing before God or in the gift of God to us through creature merit. So now, what about good works? Well, I had you turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 i had you turn to titus chapter 2 but we read that already we're in titus chapter 1 let's look at verse 16 and it says the first two words are they profess now it's talking about professors here it's not talking about university professors it's talking about people who profess to be christians they profess that they know god but in works they deny him now what's wrong with these people (laughs) well friends they don't know him they don't know him they profess that they know him but their works show that they don't know him because if they would know him they would love him and if they would love him Jesus said they would keep his commandments if you love me what you'll keep my commandments that's what it says now when you read the verse it sounds like it's a command right if you love me keep my no Yeah, if you love me, keep my commandments. But really, he's saying, if you loved me, you would keep my commandments. Do you know that the Ten Commandments are Ten promises? Oh, it's the truth. I don't have time, and it wasn't part of this sermon. But if you went to chapter 19 in Exodus, just before chapter 20, where you find the law there, you would find that God is saying, I am working in your lives and I brought you here and I brought you there and I'm doing this and this for you so that you can keep my commandments. God is essentially saying, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and when you have a new heart and a new spirit within you, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not everything else, thou shalt not because it's a promise. Once God operates in my life, opens my eyes, opens my heart, takes possession of who I am, I will not want to hurt God. Will I? No. Makes perfect sense to me. So a question. Does our repentance God, uh, cause God to forgive us? Why, no. The goodness of God leads us to repent. Sure. Sure. Does our gratitude cause God to give us gifts? Why? No. He gives us a gift, and the gift awakens in our heart a heart full of gratitude. Jesus said, like I've already quoted, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, which comes first, the love or the commandment keeping? Why, sure. Are there, do you think, Do you think there are people who try to love God or do you think there are are people who try to keep His commandments and they are devoid of love? Do you think there are people that way? Oh, sure, there's all kinds of people that way. Friends, the legalists are the most unloving people in this world. It's just that simple. Have you ever met some? It's terrible. And yet they're in the church and they believe that they're doing just what... What's right? And you go to the parable of the prodigal son and you find the elder brother. Now how loving was he? And why was he so unloving? Because he was, he was ruining his own heart by trying so hard to be good apart from the grace of God which is so freely offered to anyone who might want it. Commandment keeping, repentance, gratitude, good works are always the fruit and they are never the cause of Salvation. Good works when genuine, now of course, is proof of a true understanding of righteousness by faith. But it's a tricky thing because there's all kinds of people. The people who have true, genuine love for God have good works, and the people who are legalists have good works, and sometimes we cannot tell one from the other, right? Well, eventually we will. Guaranteed, guaranteed. And so 1 Corinthians. 11. Let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 11. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. This is the foundation of salvation. But then we go on to good works. So we go on to character building. Now, if any man build character building upon this foundation the foundation of salvation using gold or silver or precious stones wood hay stubble every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare Ye shall know them by their fruit in other words because it shall be revealed by fire do you think god cannot test your christian experience oh yes and he's doing it all the time isn't he Sure. And when it's all over, everyone is, well, I guess that's true, everyone is going to know who who you are and you're going to know who the next person is because our Christian experience will be tested as by fire. It's coming, friends. I tell you, there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was and nothing will reveal the true Christians better, but nothing will reveal the false Christians more either. It's just the way it's going to be. Verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Now, verse 15 is really strange. If any man's work shall be burnt, that is, no more works left, no more reward left, no more, no more good behavior. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so As by fire isn't that weird (laughs) no works all burnt up no good behavior no reward yet saved yeah Ellen White points to Solomon and says that he was saved as by fire she uses these verse these words right here applying them to Solomon and you know the life of Solomon right he started out to be by being a true Christian Oh, a wonderful man. I mean, God, God so loved this young fellow because his heart was truly, genuinely in love with his, with his creator. And then he was corrupted, and then it went to his head, and then he was bigger than his britches, and pretty soon he put more dependence, he put more faith, confidence in himself than he put in God. lost the whole thing, lost the whole thing, and yet he came back as by fire by the skin of his teeth as it were our ah, friends listen that isn't the experience you and I want to have is it no no I want to have stars in my crown I want to have gold in my character building Faith that works by love and purifies the soul. If we know anything about what Jesus is doing in the most holy place today, if we know anything about the antitypical day of atonement, we know that God through the three angels' messages is preparing a people to stand before God without fault. Why don't we cooperate with this thing? Isn't it the truth? The reason is we don't understand. We still haven't seen, sometimes we lose our voices here. <laughs> we still haven't seen to comprehend righteousness by faith it still hasn't come to the place where what does it say here one subject will swallow up every other we still haven't grasped the beauty of it so that it has enraptured our hearts but that time will come I believe that if we could come together as a people and pray as we were led to pray by Marilyn this evening And continue to pray and plead with God for the Holy Spirit and understanding and grasping and having the experience of Christ as our righteousness. Ah, I tell you, friends, we would have a different experience than we're having. Why in the world are we still here 167 years later? Or is it 168? Time goes by really fast. Yeah, we're still here. And there's only one reason. It's not because... God delays His coming. It's not because the devil's not ready. It's not because the world is not ready. The stage is set and God's people are still not sealed in their foreheads with the seal of the living God. It's just that simple. Just that simple because we have not understood the three angels' messages, which is righteousness by faith in verity. I want those precious attributes of God in my character those precious stones why in order to be saved why no because my salvation is based in Jesus Christ his birth his life his death his resurrection all my merits are there in him It's his merits for me but why do I want it well because friends I would like to see God glorified in my life wouldn't you I would like to be an influence to the people around me, a witness in this world. Isn't that why we're here? And let me tell you something. If we're just like the world, we're not a witness. You know that, don't you? I would like to be part of that great program where the whole world is enlightened with the glory of God's character. I would like, when I go to heaven, not to mar that place. Yeah, I've got to change, right? Sure. My personal mission statement And I share this as often as I go anywhere, as often as I speak almost. My personal mission statement is to live at all expense to myself for the glory and honor of God and for the good and happiness of others. This is my personal mission statement. Now, I wish I could tell you that I live up to this standard. The bar is really high, by the way. (laughs) But I intend to keep it before my eyes as often as I can remember and it's been years and years where I formulated this thing this is my desire to live at all expense to myself for the honor and glory of God and for the good and happiness of of others and I think we ought to adopt everyone that personal mission statement well have you turned to the parable of the prodigal son this is why we're here together by the way don't miss tomorrow some of you said that you really like the stories when I have stories to tell, well, tomorrow night will be almost all stories. Almost all stories. Uh, but, but stories with uh, purpose. Uh, you're not going to waste your time listening to stories tomorrow. But they're going to be all stories anyway. So we're in Luke chapter 15. We're looking at verse 13. We're going on with the parable of the prodigal son. Trying as best we can to recognize how righteousness by faith fits in. All of this. Verse thirteen. And not many days hence excuse me, not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance in riotous living. Do you know how God considers it? Do you know how God considers that we waste our substance in riotous living? God has given to us all kinds of things. We all have something. We all have a plenty in this country in any case. And when we take what God has given us and we spend it on ourselves, we've wasted it. Now, it's not because we don't have personal needs. You all need a house and you all need clothing and you all need clo- I mean, food and you all need all kinds of things. And God will see to it that all of these things are provided for you but we all have extra we all have more than that and very often we are tempted to spend it on ourselves that according to the scriptures is a waste of God's substance who owns all of this anyway yes yes and friends to take a journey into a car a far country you don't have to go very far you can do that in the very comforts of your own living room all you have to do is to turn your back on God and Jesus called it a journey into a far country do you know why he says it was a far country because he had never gone that far Jesus would never did turn his back on his father did he no he didn't now we've been looking at Jesus more or less as our substitute the birth he became one of us his life was lived for us from the day he was born till the day He died on the cross. He lived a perfect life as our substitute. And He died a substitutionary death. What a wonderful thing. But Jesus was not only our substitute, He was also our example. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, go with me there, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. All verses I know you're familiar with, but um, you can't read them too often we're in Hebrews chapter 4 we're looking at verse 15 for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points that is in every respect tempted like as we are yet without sin. Mm -hmm. It's hard to understand for some people that Jesus was tempted in every respect in all points like as we are it's not saying that he was tempted to, do, to, to watch TV there was no TV he wasn't tempted to drive 100 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone uh, that's American isn't it? <laughs> yeah there's a lot of things that he wasn't tempted but this is not what it was talking about it's talking about being tempted in principle do you know that Jesus before he came down here, he was all divine, he had divinity. And his great temptation was to go back and use his old nature, his, his divine nature. There's a lot of power there. Now you and I, we start with a carnal nature and we adopt the divine nature and our great temptation, true life, is to go back to the nature we used to have. It's the same temptation, isn't it? When you get discouraged, you start thinking, well, this isn't working for me. I'm going back. At least I don't have to worry about being perfect all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, with Jesus, when he was tempted, his temptation was to go back to the divinity that he had because of the amount of power that was in there. That's why the devil tried so hard on the cross of Calvary, right? To say, come on down from there. You can save yourself. You saved others and you can't save yourself? What's going on with that? You know, Was it a temptation, do you think? It was a huge temptation. Jesus was tempted far more than you and I are because He had far more power at His disposal. And yet He was able to live life as you and I have to live it with no more power than we have. That is, no more power than, than we have available to us. And He lived by faith with the same equipment that you and I had. He set aside His divinity, He took on our humanity, He was tempted in every respect, and He never failed once. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. A couple of verses in John 5 that unless you understand, it makes no sense. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son of man can do nothing of himself or by himself now how does that make sense he is the son of God he is God himself he can do nothing by himself verse 30 says the same thing Jesus speaking I can of mine own self do nothing do you know why he said that because he says of us in John chapter 15 verse 5 and you can turn to John chapter 14 but in John chapter 15 verse 5 he says without me you can do what you can do nothing so friends if if you and I are not able to do anything without God's power without God's grace without God's help then Jesus came and took the same position that we have and he did not allow himself to use any power that's not available to us and yet we know that when Jesus was down here in this world that he worked mighty miracles didn't he Go to John chapter 14, look at verse 10, and it gives us the answer there. This is John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. Did Jesus work great miracles? The Father worked great miracles through Jesus hmm well now if Jesus came to live life as an example to us and he worked all these miracles by faith in his father then don't you suppose we could do the same thing I mean isn't that why he's talking here if you look at verse 12 look at verse 12 verily verily solemnly solemnly truly truly honestly honestly I say to you He that believes on me, if you only had any faith, he that will exercise faith in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. What would we do if we actually believed God's Word? Can you see it? It's amazing. We think that we are Christians and that we have faith in God and in God's Word. Well, take this verse and believe it. Why don't you? And see what you do. And see what God is willing to do. Do you think this is true? Oh, yes. God will have a people through whom He will work like this again. There's no doubt about it. And there's no doubt in my mind that you're right here. You are the people. This is the people he would use. There's no doubt. He's not a respecter of person. He's not looking for special people through whom he can work. He's only looking for people who exercise faith in him. That's all. He's looking for people who trust him to do what he promised to do. That's all. That's all. And why is it that we are not more powerful than we are as a Christian people? It's a huge mystery in my in my little life it really is i would like to be part of that program in any case turn with me back to luke chapter 15 luke chapter 15 we're uh, we're moving a little faster because if we only did one verse at a time in the parable of the the prodigal son we wouldn't get very far over the week so i have to do more than one verse at a time now we're in verse 14 we're in luke chapter 15 And when he had spent all, talking about the prodigal, he's gone out there in the world and he's had a great time, he's wasting his father's substance. And then there comes a time when everything is spent. So then there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. Now friends, the prodigal son had been given all things. You remember that, right? His father gave him his inheritance and in the gift is inherent a a message, That's right. Thank thank you, Andre. It was on her lips. (laughs) In the gift, there was a message from his father to the son that said, I love you. Come on home. Right? Now, the prodigal son was supposed to see this goodness of God and was supposed to turn his heart toward home. He was supposed to repent in receiving this gift. Did he do it? No. No. No, well, not, not right away in any case. Why didn't he do it? And if you had been the father of that boy, what would you have said? Supposing now you've given him everything already, so apparently there's nothing left to give, which isn't so in the case of God. In any case, God is never without something to do. But if you were the father of that boy, what would you do? You shrug your shoulders and say, well, I've given him everything, there's nothing more that I can do. But it isn't that way with God. Let me show you something. This is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 470, paragraph 2. God speaks to His people in blessings bestowed. Does He? Oh yeah, and what is He saying when He bestows a blessing? I love you. God speaks to His people in blessings bestowed and when these are not appreciated, He speaks to them in blessings removed. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever had a blessing removed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was God trying to say? Do you think that God wants to remove blessings? And why do you think God acts that way? Well, friends, God is our Father. He's a parent. Some of you are parents. Most of you, I suppose, are parents. Some of you are grandparents. You who are grandparents, have you ever bought a gift to your three-year-old grandson? You know, you go out and you buy him a tricycle and the gift is supposed to say to the three-year-old grandson, I love you. And he's out there and he's as happy as can be playing on his tricycle. Well, if he becomes disrespectful in a day or two, do you know what to do? What do you do? Well, you take the tricycle and you hang it up in a rafter up in the garage somewhere and he can have it when he smartens up. It's just that simple, right? And God operates very much in the same way. Doesn't it say that? God speaks to his people in blessings bestowed, but if you're going to be disrespectful then, when these are not appreciated, he speaks to them in blessings removed. I had a friend, his name was George Schaefer. I assume that Ed and Cheryl would know George Schaefer from British Columbia. He was the principal of Fountain View Academy for a time, and I'd been asked to do a series of meetings at Fountain View Academy, and I did that, and I was was talking about this very thing, as a matter of fact. So George took me aside after the meeting, and he said, I want to tell you a story. He said, I was born in Saskatchewan on a huge ranch, and I had a huge, large extended family so many uncles many cousins lots of boys but he said I was the strongest one and I had the biggest arms. this is George telling me this but he says this was in nineteen fifty and in nineteen fifty there was a polio epidemic that swept through the land and took no one from his family except George and took nothing from George except his two arms. Now, I don't quite know how polio works. I've seen a lot of polio in Africa and most of the people who have polio are all twisted and bent over and, and deformed because of the polio. But George was not twisted or deformed at all. But the problem with George was he had no more strength than to be able to lift a pencil or a pen or a chalk so he became a schoolteacher, and that's what he was when, when I met him. Yeah, that's all the strength he had. He was married. He had daughters. The daughters had to do all the work around because he had no strength in his arms. Do you know what he said to me? He said, I praise God because I was taking the glory to myself that belonged to God and the Lord took it away to save my soul. Yeah, yeah. You know, God came to Jonah one day and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and cry against it. And Jonah said, Uh, don't think so. As a matter of fact, I've got a ticket to Tarshish. I uh, have an appointment. I'm gone. And he was gone. So, what did God do? Well, he sent a storm at sea. Why did he send a storm at sea? Was it to destroy Jonah, to drown him because he was a recalcitrant? no no it was to save him soul his soul god could have said well you know i can make a prophet i can have the stones cry out i don't need jonah but god isn't like we are and so he sent a storm at sea but it wasn't to drown him it was to save him and did it do it well it wasn't easy (laughs) it really wasn't in the parable of the prodigal son When the prodigal son had spent all and and God sent a famine in the land, was it for the purpose of starving the kid to death? No way. It was for the purpose of saving him. Turn with me to Psalms 119. I want you to see some wonderful verses. I use these verses all the time on the um, lifestyle guests that I have. I, I intend to do all the devotionals at our lifestyle guests because I just love to do it that's all and I use these verses because they're important to them most of the time we're in Psalms 119 looking at verse 67 before I was afflicted I went astray now what does it feel like before you're afflicted feels pretty good right sure it feels wonderful but the tendency when everything is going just right is to go astray All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. Why? Well, we've turned everyone to our own way. Do you know when you get your own way, the tendency is to go astray? Yes, that's what it is. And so God sometimes has to send what? Affliction. Yeah, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Really? Oh yeah, that I might learn thy statutes. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Now notice who's doing the afflicting here. Is it God? Well, that's what it says here. Now, uh, you know, we could talk about that, and we can talk about God's sovereignty, and we can talk about the fact that God afflicts nobody ever. Well, you know, we would better study it. Yeah, yeah do you know that God is serious that he wants you in the kingdom yeah that he might even resort to afflicting allowing you to be afflicted allowing the devil to do it you know so that he can reach your soul have you ever received anything good from God have you given it the proper response do you show your gratitude by your faithfulness to him And if you don't, would you blame Him for coming after you? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.